Welcome, guys. We are back here for another episode of Teaching Music Tomorrow. I am Ann Molesky. I'm here with my good friend, Victoria Bowler, and we're back for another round of melodic arranging. So this is level three. Um, we've already talked about kind of that entryway into melodic arranging. We've talked sort of about leveling up um, and had lots of good discussions, both about melodic arranging and rhythmic arranging, which we will continue today. So I want to start off by something I was thinking about as I was getting ready for this episode, and then I'm going to ask you to say something, Victoria, I promise. <laughs> so um, I want to hear it. I know, but it has, I want you to, to think about what I'm saying and then respond to it. So, um, which is what we do. <laughs> describing a conversation. I'll try, Anne. All right, hit me. So when we talk about arranging, and we had this conversation with rhythmic arranging, and I think we had it at length, particularly in part, three of rhythmic arranging. Correct me if I'm wrong, it's been long enough now. But anyway, um, we can talk about kind of this vertical layering, or yeah. we can also talk about this sort of horizontal layering. And to be honest with you, when we were talking about jumping on and getting into level three, I was like, well, which direction am I going to go? Or am I going to just do like a typical and like talk around kind of both options? <laughs> and so it might not feel like as concrete as maybe some of these like hey i like the song for this let's go and teach it that we've done on this podcast before um yeah. but talk to me a little bit about melodic arranging talking about going from level one level two level three what that means in terms of layering what that means in terms of vertical versus horizontal um how it's similar different to rhythmic give me give me all the things okay let's talk about this idea of the vertical layering or the horizontal, um, it's hard to use a, a word that's not arranging, but the horizontal like piecing together. The way I think about what is going to separate it from a level one, level two, level three is what am I asking the students to do? Am I asking the students to make one of these decisions? If yes, then it belongs in this melodic arranging, I, uh, this melodic arranging um, conversation. If it's something that I am doing, then it's still melodic arranging. It's just not melodic arranging that I'm asking students to do. Does that make sense? And it seems like so like <laughs> redundant to say, <laughs> but um, when it comes to, am I thinking about how to layer things um, vertically? I might, right? And that kind of gets into some part work stuff. But if I'm asking students to arrange the part work, such as deciding how many ostinati we're going to layer on top, that's an arranging decision. Or if I'm thinking about it horizontally, I'm thinking about asking them to move around the form. So the way I think about what makes it a level one or a level two or a level three has to do with how much student choice is there in, in those decisions. Does that, does that make sense? Because that's something else just really quickly, that's something else that we talked about when we were kind of brainstorming this episode is like, what is a conversation about melodic arranging? And we're talking about what the teacher does. And then what is melodic arranging that the students do? Yeah. And again, I'm probably repeating myself, but I wrote down um, independence as you were talking and then you went ahead and said it, like, depending on what the students are actually being asked to produce, which feels like a horrible way to say it, but it's yeah, what it is. That makes sense. Um, yep. You know, I think so then the question I think we kind of had this conversation before is if I am the teacher and I am kind of deciding the options, but the students are making the melodic choice. So maybe they're not necessarily making the arrangement choice per se, but they mm -hmm. have different melodic options with 
in that arranging choice. Um, how does that, how does that feel? What do you think? Yeah. 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 So, so we're talking about the product and we're talking about the process because Mm -hmm. arrange is Mm -hmm. a verb. I'm going to arrange this thing. And that's something that students can do. The arrangement, the final product is something that um, certainly kids are going to have a hand in, but the teacher is kind of, um, if we're planning like backwards design and we know the options that we're giving students up front, the teacher has kind of jumped in ahead to kind of give um, a boundary. So like we have the structure and then we have the choice within that structure. So the choices within the structure are the verbs, the actual arranging that students are doing. And the structure itself is the arrangement that the teacher has created, even though we don't have, you know, like every single note head colored in, so to speak, we know, um, broadly speaking, what the choices are. How does that, how does that sit with you? Yeah, that feels good. So kind of going off of what we talked about with level two. So I was on my peace port hot train, if you will. And then you, yeah. <laughs> we learned how you don't like tomato based soups. <laughs> oh, good night. Anyway. Um, so, uh, and then we created an ostinati based off of those likes and dislikes, but there was a set tone set, right? To kind of mm-hmm. choose from and play around with. And we had built some vocabulary, built some options, built some choices through exploring those different tone sets. Mm-hmm. And then the students ultimately had a, had the opportunity then to, to decide what was going to happen within that framework, right? So yep. like you just said, I knew like, okay, I'm going to choose either Somila or I'm going to choose Mireido, depending on what students I'm working with, what they already know, what they need to know, whatever my curricular objective is. And I'm going to give them those parameters because I have that backward design in mind. So there's no right or wrong answer or true path, I guess, is is the, the take home I'm trying to assert here that mm-hmm. this idea of arranging, and I liked what you said about how arranging um, versus arrangement and this idea that students have um, a, a hand in creating that product with the verbs that you're guiding them to. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I give you the choices and you move them around. And when it comes to, this is a different conversation, but when it comes to assessment, that's something that is really important to me to know. Am I assessing the process or am I assessing the product? If I'm assessing a student's product, and this goes back into what we were talking about um, in the last episode, if someone says like, I like soup, right? Or, mm-hmm. or whatever mm-hmm. it is, and they're supposed mm-hmm. to be using me, Rado, right? I can assess the process of arranging. Did they arrange with what I gave them? Yes. Yes. And they added something mm-hmm. else on top of it, right? So that's the process. Did they do the, did they go through the verb of arranging? Yes. In this case, yes. And that's a binary, like open and shut. Yes, they did arrange. No, they did not. And that's me thinking about the process, which is where the quantitative data can really help me. Mm-hmm. qualitative data would be even more helpful in that. But in terms of like a yes or no, that needs to just be a binary. Yes, they arranged something. No, they didn't. And regardless of what the product is, they went through the arranging verb itself. And then if I put on my product hat, that's when I can say the outcome was not me, Ray Doe, because the outcome included so, which was outside the bounds of, um, you know, in um, uh, British Bake Off, they'd be like, you didn't read the brief, right? Uh, they didn't follow the brief. Uh, and so that's when I can talk about the product. But if I only care about the process of kind of goobly gook moving things around, then it's just good to know it. You have to know what you're assessing and you have to know what you are listening for and watching for. Um, and I don't want to 
take an assessment for one thing when I should actually be caring about the other thing. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. So let's talk about your activity. I want to know what you're going to do. <laughs> 30 seconds. Okay. <laughs> um, okay. So I said uh, up front that I'm going to do the same idea repeated. And so this is, um, once again, the same idea repeated. So let me actually back up just a little bit because, Anne, I was not going to talk about the vertical piece. I was just going to talk about the horizontal piece. But since we've been dancing around that, let's let's go ahead and tack on the, the whole thing. Um, Anne, we are all sitting in a circle and um, you have your eyes closed and you cannot see who has the hidden object. As we pass this flower around and we sing, El floron paso por aquí, yo no lo vi, yo no lo vi. El floron paso por aquí, yo no lo vi, yo no lo vi. Que pasa, que pasa, que pasa el floron. It's a long song. Que pasa, que pasa, que pasa el floron. And then Anne would open her eyes and she would guess who has the flower that we have been passing around our circle. This is in, I'll go ahead and share my screen now so we can see. Um, okay, so this is in like an AB form. And this first part, the second half has kind of some shifting chord structure things. So if I am putting on my teacher product, end product hat, I know that the piece that's going to be easiest for students to arrange and make like an accompanying melody is going to be this first part, just because we have a little bit more room. If we think about like the chord structure that's kind of implied with this melody, um, we are not as tied into a melodic skeleton that kind of outlines the chords in the first part as we are in the second. So I'm going to put on my teacher brain and I'm going to say like, okay, so I'm thinking now maybe I give you the partner melody for the second half. We want to think about this as the chorus or the B section. If our song is in A, B, I'm going to give you the partner melody to the second half. And I'm going to ask students to arrange their own partner melody for the first half. So that's something that we can maybe circle back to. Um, and you can see uh, some uh, body percussion. Yes. Okay, I'm gonna sing it first. You can join in whenever you're ready with body percussion. It goes like this. Yo no lo vi, yo no lo vi, yo no lo vi el floron. Yo no lo vi, yo no lo vi, yo no lo vi el floron. And if we were to, um, by the way, there's something missing right here, which is just like you float your hands up and you snap at the top. Okay. If we were to put this on barred instruments, which we are not yet, but we certainly could, it just totally depends on how you want this to land. Yo no lo vi, yo no lo vi, yo no lo vi el floron. And we could put it on the staff as well. Yo no lo vi, yo no lo vi, yo no lo vi el floron. And then eventually, once we are, this is in the high do concept plan, and then eventually we can sing it on solfege as well. La 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 la, do 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 do, so 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 so, mi so do. That is the uh, partner melody for Que pasa, que pasa, que pasa el floron. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so Anne, will you just interhear this on your own? as I am singing, que pasa? And maybe you can show us your hand signs. 
Sound good? Okay. Here we go. Que pasa? Que pasa? Que pasa? El florón. Do it again. Que pasa? Que pasa? Que pasa? El florón. Great. So, so far, this is an arrangement, but students have not done anything. Right, it is an arrangement, but it's all teacher directed. So even though I have had an extremely creative and fulfilling time making this, um, students have been doing imitation, right? Which is fine, it's just not arranging. Okay, so now we're rocking and rolling on that. At this point in our part of the concept plan, again, thinking with a backward design hat, we have a partner melody to the second half, but what are we missing? third grade, fourth grade, whoever upper elementary is doing high dough. Uh, we don't have a partner melody to this first one. And I got so lazy and so tired and I am exhausted from making all of the decisions in this class. And I hereby give up on this partner melody. You guys are always asking me, make us a partner melody, make us a partner melody. No, now I'm gonna put it on you. So now I sing and you can show me your hand signs as I sing this. Here we go. Do, re, mi. So mi la so do re mi so la do. So I've just taken these melodic cells and we can move these around however we want, but they are pretty flexible um, harmonically. And then for friends watching the video, I have some elemental forms up at the top. Students don't have to use the elemental forms, but it's nice for them to be thinking about the structure of it um, so that they can make a conscious choice that every single card will be different, or they can make a conscious choice that they're gonna have some sort of pattern in there. Um, and so then the, the process with this section is totally dependent on how much interdependence students have as singers. If we are in groups of three and students can do it on their own, then that's great, right? These can be cards that we cut out and they move them around. Way before that though, I would want us to go through several million different examples with me at the board pointing to all of these cards so that we are kind of in the same groove of the meter and, and everything like that. So then eventually, Anne, we have a teacher created uh, B section partner melody, and then we have a student created first section partner melody. So that kind of takes your commentary about the vertical piece and the horizontal piece and it kind of like whoosh, squishes mm -hmm. them together. Mm -hmm. Clear as mud, what do you think? No, I love that. I love it. Um, I think what you said about the independence and the interdependence is really important. So I think we touched on this a little bit in terms of just talking about melodic part work in general. Um, we mentioned canon last time and how canon mm -hmm. is actually a really, really difficult thing um, because students hear like what they've already sung or what they're about to be singing. And so they tend to like want to go back to that. Whereas partner song work, um, and a lot of times you can you can take like a known pentatonic and another known pentatonic and yes and and put them together and see how that works as a partner song not exclusively but there's a lot of a lot of those yeah. that work anyway the point being that there's enough difference in the actual melodic contour and often the text that students aren't getting flubbed up as easily as they would with canon so if you're yeah. looking at a melodic part work sequence it would probably mm. be what like ostinati partner song and then canon roughly yeah. right like yeah. there's other stuff in her interspersed but uh -huh. that's probably kind of a good good way to go what do you think about that? i agree oh yeah i completely agree i completely agree and but then you know we would have a conversation and and we can do 
this. We've already talked about part work at some point. But if, if the conversation is primarily around part work, then I put on a part work hat. And if it's mm. primarily around arranging, then as the teacher, I want to create some sort of part work structure where students can be successful with the arranging piece that I want them to focus on. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yep. That being like that, like you mentioned, like going in and around those different building blocks so that they actually have that vocabulary to create with. Right. So then the difference again between an arrangement and part work being like, we practice the same, we've done it. The difference is like the kids are actually doing the thing, right? They're actually making the choices. Um, Yeah. Cool. I love it. Beautiful. And you've like smashed, if anyone looked at those visuals and if you're just listening, you should go back and watch the video because you smashed everything I've ever said about having to have rhythmic notation (laughs) in order to derive melodic notation. And the way that you do it so beautifully because you're still showing the contour, you're still showing like the, the, um, like duration spacing, but it's not necessarily tied to the meter. Like they could probably feel that this is a swinging meter, but you could do this Mm -hmm. without students knowing like they're six, eight, um, rhythm syllables or however you teach that in your classroom. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think just to tack on there, I think a difference is you use a lot of stick notation more and you, you kind of lean on that a little bit more heavily than you do for the staff, which makes a lot of sense because it's easier. It's every bit as effective, right? And if you're not going to use stick notation because you're doing an activity like this, then you would just have the words. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. You would just have the words there and you would put the solfege above the words. So it's the same, it's the same thing, right? Just looking at it slightly, like a slightly different angle. Yeah, it's easier for the teacher. I think it's better for the students to do it on the staff. It's something that I'm mm. I'm really working. That's like a personal, like, okay, Anne, like, pull up your bootstraps and start takes, putting stuff on the staff. It takes right? 20 times longer, though, to put anything no. on the staff. Like, it truly takes forever. So it makes yeah. sense that you do stick. Well, and that's just like if I have – if all I have in my classroom is a diary sport and, and yes. a marker, like, I can throw up a song, a 16 Because then song, you're, like, like super sitting fast, there. Right? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But, like, like, you had it so beautifully put on the slides. That's so much easier for students to then see contour. And, like, mm. even before you added the staff lines, you could see the difference between law and so because it was just a little bit lower. And then you add the yeah. staff lines and it makes it all clear. So that's a total yeah. aside. <laughs> and so, um, okay, I can share a little bit of – of my stuff. And yeah. I don't really have so much of like the beautifully sequenced activity as you do, but more just like a, a, more of the same kind of discussion that, that we were having. And I kind of came, came at this from like the backward design idea of a camera keeps going in and out um, of like, if I wanted this to be like an informance or something that was very product based in terms of like, students could perform it right like what would it look like what would like that set structure look like for my students to be able to like have done the verbing if you will to like create the thing right um and so i started off with this peace porridge hot i moved into just that simple rhythm ostinato with soup rest soup rest in level one putting that into onto orf instruments as a as a simple bordoon or a simple drone um and then maybe feeling fancy and making a, a broken drone, you know, just something just really basic, basic level. Um, and then we got into the kind of this idea of taking a rhythmic ostinati and turning it into a melodic ostinati with that that set tone set. Um, and I guess what I have to say is if we have those two elements of just a simple drone and we have those other elements of either an ostinati that is played on the instruments or sun, and we also wanted to add 
another like sun asanati, like soup, soup, tomato soup, because Victoria loves it. Um, you know, something like that. I, I think that there's a lot of different options for how you can make see if I can say this the way that it's in my brain, <laughs> a lot of different options for how expansive you can make a horizontal form with the different types of vertical layering that you've come up with, right? So again, like I, I apologies because this isn't, I, I did a lot of thinking on all of this, particularly this morning before we hopped on, but also just in between, like how, how do I really make this a level three? Well, the true level three for me is like, okay, I've given these ideas for an asanati. I've given these ideas for a drone. Now, like, what are we gonna do with the form so that each of these little student created things can come in, right? And so maybe it's just everybody sings a song, then we stop, everybody plays the drone, soup, soup, I like soup soup, soup, and then we layer the song on top of that. And then the first group comes up and performs their ostinati, and then we do that along with the soup piece porridge hat, right? And then there's the interlude, and then you go to the next, and then there's the interlude, and then you go to the next. And then maybe they're just clapping their rhythm, which isn't melodic arranging. But this idea that there's so many different options depending on, as you stated, what like that end goal is. And for a piece porridge hat, depending on whether I have older beginners or kids in first and second grade is to do some type of creating partner type ostinati stuff with like mi re do or so mi la, whether it's singing or singing and playing on the instruments, right? And with that comes some other basic skills such as the simple drone or such as creating like this big rondo with an intro, with an interlude, with a coda, you know, however you want to put it, to put it together. Um, and I mean, the first time that you do something like this, you're not going to walk into like second grade and be like, all right, guys, like, how are we going to put this together? Right? No, you're not going to do that. You're going to say, okay, here's our song. We had this, this, um, this simple drone that we came up with. Do we want it to start with just a drone or do we want to do the song and then add the drone? Or do we want to do everything together to start? Right? So like you have these different options and they're still making choices. And to me, even though I'm giving that vocabulary, since the students are still making the decision or maybe trying some things and then deciding which one they like best, to me, that still feels like enough student choice to make it arranging. And so thinking about sort of those leading questions, right? As you're going through with all those building blocks that you've created um, based on your curricular objective, feels like enough to me. And the reason I say it that way is because I think we hear like melodic arranging and it's like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? And it's like, no, it can, it can really be like kind of broken down into its simplest parts, right? Maybe this is because I've been living in like kindergarten and first grade land for the last two weeks prepping. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, that's kind of where I landed. And that doesn't feel very teaching music tomorrow-ish to me, but <laughs> it's just kind of where my brain's been. But I'll stop talking so you can respond. <laughs> Nathan and I, when we were growing up, we were in praise band at church and I grew up um, classically trained, very tied to standardized Western notation. And Nathan had some of that, but he learned a lot by ear. And I had, I did a lot of stuff by ear as well, but it was kind of um, woven into standardized Western notation in a way that Nathan's training was not. And fast forward, we become teenagers, we are in praise band and Nathan's on guitar and I'm on keys and I cannot keep up with where we are in the song. And, and it's like a very simple structure. And it's like, are we going to do the bridge? Are we going to do the verse next? And I would just like look around and be like, how does everyone know what to do 
next? Like I am truly 100% lost because I was using like a chord sheet instead of here is this note, then you play this one, then you play this note. And then after that note, you play this note, then you play this note, right? It's so much more breathable if people are co-arranging the form, right? So someone would just start singing the bridge and then everybody else is supposed to just be playing the bridge. And I was like, how are we supposed to know? <laughs> and I'd be like, can we write this down, please? I'm stressed out. But what you're describing, Anne, is a whole generation of kids who will never have that problem that I had because in first grade, when they do peas porridge hot, you are taking them through a an arrangement of the form structure, the formal structure, not as in like the buttoned up bow tie structure, but like the form structure of the piece. And so even though you're saying like, for me, that's enough. I'm over here going like, yeah, that's that's enough. And and just that one idea <laughs> will carry you on through like the, the rest of your life, right? Um, mm -hmm. The idea of giving kids pieces, whether they are melodic cells, whether they are um, eight beat sections of a song, whether they are um, a 32 song, a 32 beat song, and then students are choosing what comes after that 32 beat song, whatever level you are kind of approaching this based on where students are and what they need, the idea of taking something and moving it around and having agency in your ears, like aural agency over where we are mm. and what comes next, that is a skill that we cannot we cannot teach through, um, I don't know, like literacy exercises or or anything like so teacher driven, teacher like rote learning or anything anything like that. Do you know what I'm saying? That yeah. skill that you're talking us through, Anne, is. Um, I don't want to put like too much, I don't want to be too dramatic, but like that feels pretty invaluable to me. <laughs> like to know where you are in the song and know like how to come up above water and like see what's happening and where to jump to next. It's it's such a more broad view than we are used to looking at when we're like, what's the next note? What's the next note? What's the next note? You know? Yeah. And I think about, you know, even some of my, because I come from a similar background to you in terms of like, can never play by ear. <laughs> like I was like totally tied to notation and probably still am too much to this day. But I remember some of my early or shore training and, um, you know, just this feeling doing the improv improvisation just over simple drones, like in level one, um, and starting to kind of feel where everyone's going to come back in with the big yeah. A section, like yep. just having that feeling, like knowing, like, and like getting over the whole like, well, it's four people's turn and then it's my turn and starting to yes. just kind of listen to like the natural like ebb and flow, like kind of question answer type of stuff is mm -hmm. something that I think, I think what, what you're saying. Yes. All of that. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I think that, um, and that's what we're talking about in terms of, I mean, we call it melodic arranging, but there's kind of some like inherent like harmonic stuff in there too. Right. And like, and, and it's very, very multifaceted as many things that we talk about on this podcast tend to be. Yeah. So that's kind of where I landed um, or am continuing to fly through perhaps is a more <laughs> accurate way to say it um, in terms of all this stuff. So, you know, I love it. So we've looked at it from um, like 32 different angles, which is great. Um, I've had a lot of fun. This has opened up um, a couple different more avenues for me to kind of chew on as well. So I think that's, that's good. Um, as you and I jump into the start of the school year, uh, I know I have stuff that I want to go 
try out, right? And you have plenty of stuff to talk to your students about. And um, I think this is this has been good. I think it's a good place to kind of cap it.